Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. Last week, most markets were watching the world's central bankers in Jackson Hole. Janet Yellen's highly anticipated speech on Friday met expectations, and the market did little in response. The main reaction? Mrs. Yellen convinced a few more in the market that the Fed might just raise rates at its September meeting. The likelihood jumped from 32% on Thursday to 42% on Friday. However, it has since drifted back down to 36%. August's broadly calm markets are a sharp contrast to the Chinese inspire volatility last summer. I'm Rochelle Toplinsky. On Hard Currency, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about the foreign exchange market. As we bid farewell to the summer, Jeffrey Yu, head of UK Investment Office at UBS, is with me in the studio. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Markets have been quiet this month, a sharp contrast to the volatility we saw last August when the People's Bank of China unexpectedly devalued the renminbi. After the surprise, many seem to become fixated on the renminbi valuation and worried about further movements by China to devalue its currency. However, after a rough start this year, markets seem to have become more sanguine. Why is that, Jeff? I think a couple of reasons. Firstly, Chinese um, have been slightly better at managing expectations. You know, we, we know the renminbi is still weakening, but at a pace which is broadly under their control, and not really enough to generate greater volatility. So no more one-off jumps, no more experiments. So that's one element there. They're still working on their communications, as demanded by markets and other central bankers as well. Uh, but uh, it's a learning process. And secondly, I think we have to acknowledge that capital controls are probably working much better compared to where they were last year. It、uh, does play out in some bits of data. Data, such as reserve flow, we now get it on a monthly basis, so that's showing some stabilisation. Of course,、uh, the country's still running strong current account surplus. If you just look at the trade balance numbers,、uh, so the net result is. It's、uh, somewhat of an easier situation, and on the U.S. side, yes, Fed expectations have moved、um, slightly higher. But do we really think the Fed is going to be very aggressive?、I、don't think so, because otherwise, emerging market currencies across the board, not just the renminbi, would have suffered already. And what about the relative importance of those three reasons? Is there one that you think is sort of overpowering the others? I think the capital outflows angle is extremely important uh, because uh, you know that's where the transactions are. At the end of the day, they publish the fix. The fixes are supposed. To reflect your know, market supply and demand imbalances,、um, but if there is recourse to buy overseas assets or to buy non-remittance denominated assets, and for example, then households with strong depreciation expectations, they will head into that direction. So, by the sounds of it, unless、um, you're buying a football club in the UK <laughs> or、uh, doing a few、um, other strategic and、um, FDI outflows or some high-profile、uh, acquisitions、um, overseas, this lower-level, you know, retail flow, be it just you know buying dollars. Cash or trying to invest in an overseas on property, for example, that seems to have slowed. And what is the government strategy for the renminbi likely going forward? 
I still think it's multifold. You know, so firstly, they have to be aware of global rate expectations, or rather Fed expectations. I remember, you know, there was a headline a couple of months ago around the time of the Sino-US strategic economic dialogue. It was something like, remember is the People's Bank of China to ask the Fed whether they're going to hike rates in June or not, which was a bit of a strange one, given probably the Fed um, wouldn't really know until the meeting itself. Secondly, they still have to manage capital account liberalization, or rather the lack of, um, we can see, you know, the internationalization has taken a different path, capital account liberalization that clearly is no longer a priority, or at least outbound capital flows. The QDI2 scheme, for example, uh, haven't heard about that in a while, you know, which allows uh, high net worth individuals um, to invest overseas. And finally, again, it's about domestic growth. So we have to take the long term view here. If you have strong growth or successful rebalancing of the economy, sustainable growth, and people believe in that. And you also have market reform, you know, whereby the more assets in China, which is investable, and people can feel safe in rather than go on a roller coaster ride. We have to talk about the equity markets and its volatility, how it contributed to FX volatility as well in China. So all of that put together, you need a multifold approach whereby you have short term managing of the capital account and flows, but longer term, it has to be a direction that households believe in savings okay. rate. It's very high in China, but unlike the Japanese, that might go out in an instant. Okay. And what sort of metrics? You mentioned the uh, foreign exchange reserves. We also have sort of the onshore offshore spread of the exchange rates. What sort of metrics do you think are important to watch? And is there some threshold, you know, if we get to 680, one per US dollar, is that a threshold? Or what do you I don't think, you know, any central bank around the world will, you know, try to flag a specific level, you know, whereby um, beyond uh, which uh, we should start to worry or they would start to worry. Um, I guess your rule of thumb was always in China is about 5% a year. And that was um, true when dollar and was going down, it probably should hold when dollar and is going up as well. So that's the first element. Secondly, there's a lot of good granular domestic data for us to look at. And some of those who follow this closely are uh, beyond the reserve numbers. Uh, they look at uh, FX purchase positions, um, for example. So, you know, that does reflect transactions within the banking system vis-a-vis the central bank, for example, and how that expands or contracts liquidity because, you know, China ultimately is a quantitative framework. If FX goes in, then base money, that will expand and vice versa. So this figure, for example, would be a good proxy of how much money is going in or out. And by extension, if money is going out, then you have contraction in base money, and the PBOC will have to print or deploy liquidity. And that, you know, people look at as well to say, well, if there's no FX coming in, but you're still pumping money into the system, shouldn't the renminbi depreciate further? So, you know, this is where I want to be really careful. The PBOC wants to manage it carefully. They want to keep the system liquid, but not to the extent that it becomes pro-cyclical and a vicious cycle actually begins to develop with respect to the currency and liquidity. And taking a further step back and looking broader around the world, the RIMBY seemed to have a bit of easing in, mm. in devaluation pressure with the Fed hesitating to raise rates this year. What do you think needs to happen as we look forward to the farm payrolls this week to sort of persuade the Fed to raise in September and what would be the implications? I would say a continuation, right? So we've had two months of um, very strong data. I think the market's still looking at you know, 200 or so and you know, 0.2, 0.3 uh, on the earnings side unemployment rate, you know, holding, you know, just below five, for example. So consistency, you know, that's important. But if we get another blowout number, say 250 or above, then that will absolutely push September into a live meeting. But, you know, what if people start to think, wow, is the US at full employment? Are we achieving escape velocity in the US? Then do they need to do more? Right. So that seems to be a scenario that markets are not priced for. And to be honest, if we look at the Fed, what was the focus on Jackson Hole? It was new forms of monetary policy. So how do you deal with this new environment we're in? But the focus was 
on what do we do in the next crisis? All global central banks are the zero bound already. We don't have that much room. So we need new metrics like nominal GDP targeting, for example. So no one was thinking about how do we hike or, you know, how do we tighten in a way that doesn't cause excessive volatility or something like that. So it doesn't seem like the Fed's mind is towards a very aggressive cycle either. So the market, I wouldn't say the market's complacent, um, but probably it's another scenario that they would have to explore. So let's say if we get another three months of 250 plus numbers and unemployment rate goes down to four and a half or lower and US GDP could get to two and a half percent that would be totally contrary to expectations six months ago. And that's something that you know, perhaps we need to be braced for as well. Okay. That would presumably hit emerging markets, wouldn't it, quite hard? I think that kind of flow, because if we look at the flows into emerging markets of late, I think two reasons. One, EM, especially EM debt, it offers yield, right? And currencies have corrected a lot. So, you know, that's why there has been a lot of flow. Um, but also, you know, secondly, people are much more sanguine about the dollar situation and are hoping that the Fed won't hike aggressively. So those select EM countries with a lot of FX exposure, FX debt, for example, you know, they won't be left exposed. But if the Fed hikes very aggressively, such that cash is actually more cash is deployed in the US, then EM may have a problem. Is it going to be as bad as some points last year or earlier this year? I don't think so, because we're coming off a much lower base now. So especially EM currencies, they've already corrected a lot. But I would look out for specific pockets of EM, you know, where there may be a bit more concern, especially again, with um, FX debt exposure. And uh, with that, that cause some kind of a systemic problem that I think is something for us to know to put in the back pocket, especially if the Fed is going to have to hike a lot more aggressively than previously expected. That's all we have time for this week on Hard Currency Podcast. Many thanks to you, Jeff, for coming in. You can keep up to date with all the FX news on the FT by looking at ft.com slash markets and at FastFT. We'll be back next week with Hard Currency. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com.